0: It's a familiar voice on this week's ACC Now podcast if you're familiar with the whistleblowers, uh, the podcast that I've done for several years with with John Clockerty, the Hall of Fame referee from Raleigh, uh, not recently, but John's back. and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a little mini whistleblowers today on ACC Now. I'm news and observer sports columnist Luke Decock. and John, what is this? a crossover episode.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh that's what we're going to do, you know, a little bit of uh Whistle uh Whistleblower and the ACC podcast.
0: Uh first of all for the, for anyone who is a Whistleblower's listener and if if not I strongly encourage you to check out our our archives on Apple and Google Play and all your other podcast places, but uh John, what have you been up to during the pandemic?
1: Well, uh you know, like most everybody else, we, I got to uh be careful about you know, uh, going to large gatherings and different things like that, Luke. But, uh, you know, I'm still trying to get to the gym. And when it's good weather and my, and uh, I've hurt my hand a little bit, so my golf has been put on the sidelines for a while. But I'm um, doing a lot of reading and I'm watching games. I'm uh, watching uh, basketball and football. My Steelers were awful last night and <laughs> – um, and I'm, you know, watch ACC basketball and Big East, get to watch uh, Tim work a little bit and some of the guys that work for me. So I'm doing, uh, I'm doing a little bit of everything.
0: Well, let me, yeah, let, let, let me just, for listeners who don't know, John is uh, uh, the former ACC supervisor of officials, worked many Final Fours. How
1: many Final Fours, John? Uh, I worked 12, Luke. Uh, four championships, uh, 12 Final Fours.
0: Which is... Needless to say, a lot. His son, Tim, is a referee who works in the ACC and Big East and, and other places. We see him a lot around a lot. And, and we had, for, for several years, our, our Whistleblowers podcast, and we just have sort of put a pin in it for now. We used to go sit at John's kitchen table, and Dorothy would make cookies, and we'd each have a cup of coffee, and that's just been a little hard to do over Zoom. In fact, we try to Zoom John with the, the McGee family. Ryan McGee and his his dad and brother and their terrific book Sidelines and Bloodlines about growing up in an officiating family and I had asked all the questions because you couldn't get your Zoom working so that's yeah, the that, answer it, to where it, it, where does the podcast go?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, look, you're right. It you know there was the pandemic and the interruptions there, but we still could have uh, did I could have done a better job. I uh, for whatever reason the Zoom didn't work real well on on my uh, computer and um so it 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 was never real smooth or smooth as we needed it to be we had a routine and it got broken anyway
0: uh, i strongly encourage you to check that out if you have any interest in uh officiating or uh really acc basketball we had some pretty we had some pretty good ones we just haven't had any for the last 10 months so uh, let's 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 dig in like we used to john
1: yeah um you know you you always had some uh interesting topics and Questions and uh, you know whether basketball related or different things, but um, you know maybe what we need to do, Luke, is revisit uh, our podcast and see if we can get that going. Maybe uh, in a little bit uh, uh, now that we're in the middle of basketball season, but um, love to do it. And, and you know, you far away, we'll talk about basketball now and what's going on in the ACC and so forth. All right, let's start with
0: a big picture question and. We've 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 seen some changes to the game over the last couple of years. It continues to move towards a, a more sort of three pointer and layup focused game in a lot of places, uh, just as the NBA is. But I'm curious, what what have you seen observing that's changed about officiating and the way the game is officiated over the last couple of years? What stands out to you that's different?
1: Look, can I turn that question around and talk about what I see in the game of basketball? as compared to when uh, maybe I was refereeing, and even in my early tenure, um I'm watching games, Luke, and you have to write commentary about, um and I love reading your commentary, and I've told you that numerous times. It's terrific. But the game of basketball that I'm watching now doesn't even resemble the level of play and the players and the teams that, uh, I had a, a, an opportunity to referee in, in my career. And um, I, I think, Luke, all the changes that have occurred, and I, I know I'm going to go on because I'm so disappointed in the level of play that I'm seeing. But when I, when I was refereeing, we had not good teams but great teams, whether it was Georgetown, whether it was Kansas, whether it was a, a Carolina or, or Duke uh, or Georgia Tech with Bobby Cremins when he had his super teams and the John Sally and Mabry. I don't see any of those players, and I don't see any of those teams. All I see is teams being put together because of the changes that are occurring out there, the the different options that the players have. I'd like to just mention in, in – I did some work for uh, the NCAA. J.D. Collins asked me to go uh, and look at Maui, which was actually in Asheville. He said, go out there and look at the referees, and if you would, for me, and send a report back. Look, I'm out there, and I'm watching these games, and Dave Odom comes up and because he's heavily involved in the Maui, and he comes up and sits next to me. And Minnesota's playing. And he said, John, that Minnesota team that you're looking at, they don't have one player from last year, not one. He said, everybody is either a freshman uh, or a transfer. He said, they that's a whole new team. He says, and the, and the team that follows them, South Carolina, is a whole new team also. And, Luke, they played like they were a whole new team. There was no and I and I'm watching basketball and I'm thinking basketball has made a serious regression from um and, and maybe there's obvious reasons with kids transferring, kids leaving early, kids not even coming, having different options. But um before I wanted to talk about officiating because and I'll I'll mention officiating officiating the games I had were so much easier than the officials have today. Because these kids are not as skilled. They they don't they can't play as well as the uh, teams. There's no Vince Carters out there. Uh there you know, there's there's no Shane Battiers out there anymore. The, and I could be totally wrong and this is certainly a biased opinion. I I get that. But I'm watching a game the other night at ACC team and in the first, before the first minute timeout, they have four turnovers. They haven't reached the six, they haven't reached the 16 minute mark and they have thrown the ball away four times. And I think that's standard for the game. You look at the, look at the bus score. They got 17, 18, 19 turnovers. Uh, Look, I, I know I'm going on and on, but I. <laughs> you I mean, are. But but the officiating is so much more difficult than than the uh, teams that I had to officiate, uh, and I, I I think I'm seeing it through uh, through my eyes because I I just I watch the games and I say, gosh, Thorn. Are they ever going to run anything that looks similar to a play? All they do is rush it up, run real quick, and take a worst god awful shot.
0: yeah, I mean obviously, John, that's a common lament that that people inside and outside the game of basketball have um some of it I think is is unavoidable uh when you get to sort of the root causes of it and some of it is the the as the landscape changes, there are certain coaches and programs that have done a better job of adapting to this new landscape than than others and I think you can look at a program like Baylor as a school that you know has thrived in this environment and and has you know figured out ways to to teach and bring kids in who may not have been in the program very long and get them up to speed this This is one of the things that you and I sort of touched on it, was, it was just sort of starting back when we were recording the whistleblowers. But as players get more freedom of movement, uh, you know, sort of school to school, not on the basketball court, which is something else we're going to talk about, uh, you know, that, that they've earned this to a certain extent. You know, the days when college athletes faced restrictions that other students didn't face are, are over. Uh, and, and the schools that adapt the best to the transfer portal. And, uh, the, the COVID, you know, uh, transfer exemption and things like that. The schools are the schools that, that recruit the most, honestly, that teach the best. Uh, I think it's, uh, the landscape changes and some people adapt and some don't. And I think, I think we'll see that going forward. I don't think we'll ever get back to the days that you're talking about when players stayed for three or four years and you would get, you know the, the 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 Patrick Ewings and
1: right, players right. like
0: that. I, I we're we're not going back there because the game has changed and the NBA has changed and it's pulling players, you know, out of college basketball more quickly. I mean, imagine a world where Zion Williamson is a senior right now. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a it's a very different it's a very different world of college basketball. But you raise an interesting point. Which wait, is wait, one wait. Of
1: the tr- uh, look, can I just yes. say? Don't because. I was pontificating, doesn't mean that I'm in favor of those rules. Uh, I think that kids ought to be able to transfer and play uh, immediately. When I was in the league, and even maybe my first tenure as a supervisor, the ACC had a rule that if you did transfer, you could not transfer to another ACC team. Okay, You couldn't leave state and go to Clemson play, I thought that was unfair to the kid because he was shutting out all these other a c c teams uh i I'm in favor of of those changes and I'm in favor sure. of the one one but I think because of those changes it you don't have you have a team but you don't have a program. Okay? You you keep you keep adding kids every year because you're losing kids. You let a kid come in that you recruited hard and he doesn't get his minutes, he says, I'm going somewhere else. You know, yeah. and I think that I think that's that 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 hurts your program. They never you know, uh I one of the things I saw out in 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 Maui, they had an Ivy League there, an Ivy League team, Princeton. And Princeton took both South Carolina and Minnesota, to the cleaners. And why? Because they had kids that were in the program three or four years. They they played super basketball, and they ended up on the winning side. And the only reason they couldn't is not because they had better basketball players, it's because they were together, and they knew how to play longer, and they knew how to run their offenses Uh uh, am I making sense Luke? I mean it, it's Yeah,
0: it's, no. It's, I it's, yeah, no, it's it's certainly everyone's aware of the phenomenon and you can look at this season the teams that have stayed together like Loyola and Davidson and San Francisco uh to a lesser extent Colorado yeah. State these are these are all programs that are are fringe top 25 teams uh, I think in a couple cases top 25 teams that are are going uh, going to knock someone off in the NCAA tournament. Uh those, those teams are out there. You know what? What we've seen is a is a, a, a dilution of that sort of continuity at the really elite level. It's just harder to keep players around. And and you know, one of the guys who's been really good at it is Mike Bray at Notre Dame, and he's got to get old and stay old. Team this year, yeah, it's been a little yeah. bit, but they're but they're coming now. So yeah, no, I, I I think we all understand that it's certainly a different game. I don't know that it's necessarily. Uh, you know, as bad as everyone says it is, I mean, to be honest with you, if you go back and look at the old days, more players can shoot the ball now than ever could. Like the, the shooting ability in the game of college basketball is actually pretty good.
1: Uh, yeah. people,
0: you know, if, if you don't, if yeah. you don't get sepia toned about it. Uh, and, and so that's, you know, there, there's pluses and minuses to everything. I will say this on, on transfers and all of that and, and, you know, guy leaving if he's not getting his minutes. I think what you're going to see are the coaches who adapt to that. The, best are going to be the ones who are honest in the recruiting process and don't make promises they can't keep because a lot of times coaches promise things and they know they're not going to hold up to those promises but they also know it, the kid's going to stick it out for a year or two and maybe by then they can start to keep them happy i think keeping your players happy is going to be as much of a skill as teaching defense in this modern <laughs> college basketball world i i, I really believe that and oh that's a good who a lot point of players,
1: Yeah, I hadn't thought about. Yeah, that's going to be hard to do, but I, I I think that's a great point. Yeah, make them happy, keep them around.
0: So, so, but I want you, you, your point raises a bigger point as regards, you know, your profession as as regards officiating, which is there's an old truism that you know the more shots you miss, the harder it is to officiate that game, and even though shooting percentages may be up, these we do get these games where. It can be a a lot of rebounds, uh, a lot of sort of loose balls, a lot of things that are are difficult to officiate. Is it harder to
1: officiate the game today than it was when you were doing it? Absolutely, Luke. Uh, and for for reasons that you, like hinted on there. First of all, uh, you know, teams are are that shoot the ball poorly. But you're right. I think I think, uh schools recruiting these three point shooters because that's where the scoring's going to start coming from. But watching the other night, uh, I watched uh, pit and um I'm trying to think who, but uh, but look, it is harder because there's more rebounding, there's more driving hard to the hoop to get to the line. So many teams want to score their points either from behind the line or the free throw line. So, uh it and they're not as skilled um and and honestly the, the 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 driver puts so much pressure on the defender by creating the contact i look at so much in the contact There's so much created by the offensive guy lowering, sure. his, sho- lowering his shoulder driving trying to get to the basket and maybe get get to the line i think it's tremendously or much harder to referee now uh i, I just For a combination, one I just elaborated on, I think the players are not as good. I mean, we can't compare everybody to Vince Carter or Michael Jordan or Shan Bedier, but even the mid-level guys, they they struggle um, to execute. And and then um, I think the NCAA and J.D., in, in implementing their new rules about freedom of movement, I think that's all good. Keeping your hands off the dribbler. They now have the, the the flopping rule, which is what we did when a guy flopped. We just looked down at him and told him to get up. Now, <laughs> yeah, we did. You know, like if if you're gonna if you're gonna flop, then you're gonna lay on the floor, and we're gonna tell you to get up, and we're not gonna make that call. But but today they they'll interrupt it and and give the. uh give the offensive team and the kid that's flopping a warning for flopping. So, I mean, I, they keep looking at it and trying to make it a more open game. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think they're probably a, a lot of scoring in, in, in spite of the, the, the turnovers, Luke. I don't I don't keep the look at those statistics. But um, I just think that um, officiating is – Is more difficult. And, you know, I look at the guys that work from Jamie Lucky still out there, Ron Gruber still out there. There's a lot of uh, good referees. I think there's uh, excellent referees. I think they have a hard time refereeing the games that are being played.
0: What would you do? All right, uh, this question comes from the premise that the way that block charges are adjudicated now is fundamentally flawed because officials tend to default to the offensive foul. Um and in, in in even when the other guy is is sometimes moving, standing there, it feels like there's a default. Is there a way what would you do if you were in charge and you have been at times? What wh- what should we be doing with with the block charge call because everyone seems to hate it no matter what the answer is? What would you do if if you were empowered how would you? Look, how would you approach look, that?
1: Uh, what I said at our clinics and what I showed on tape at our clinics, and kind to get uh, uh, as a an official that's working the baseline on drives to the hoop, and that's where a lot of the block charges occur are drives to the hoop. But uh, you ha- you don't need as as a lead official working the baseline, you don't need to concern yourself. About the dribbler, all you need to do is identify the defensive player and watch the defensive player, and if he uh, is able to get into position, you're not concentrating on the dribbler. That is secondary your Your look is right on the defender. where he started, where he ended up, and where did he take take the contact. If he took the contact in the chest or even in the shoulder then call an offensive foul. If you fall if you see him moving as a defender and you've looked at him and you've got your eyeballs on him and he's moving, then it's gonna be a block. But but Luke, there's a whole different uh way to referee that play when you have a secondary defender or you're allowed to be moving on a dribbler uh And still, uh it, it create contact. And, and what I'm saying is, uh, if you referee the defense, you're going to get a large percentage of those plays correct. You're, but if you if you don't see if if you're late getting to the defender and watching the defender, you're not getting those plays. Uh, uh, that's what I told our guys. They they agreed with that. They bought into that. Uh, that let's make sure we know where the defender starts, where he ends up, and where he took the contact.
0: Here's my thought on this, and this you've heard me say this before, but I just feel like I need to throw it out there again. This is supposed to be a game that rewards skill. And a lot of times, the way that that play is, is, and I understand how it's written, the way that that play is adjudicated rewards the unskilled play. And to me, it needs to be whether this requires rewriting the rule or an interpretation. The language player control foul is what should uh, is, is what should be the, the dominant thought here. If a player lowers his shoulder, uh, if a player is out of control, if the offensive player uh, entirely initiates unnecessary contact, then these are all things that should be an offensive foul. The guy jumping in the way and standing there, closing his eyes and hoping he doesn't get hit, uh, to me, that that's a play that that we need to get out of the game. I don't think that's a good play. I, I don't think it's a, a athletic play. I know that some coaches would disagree that that's a skill to get in someone's way. But I, I, I just there's too many examples of guys coming from across the lane, getting in the way. A guy turns the corner and this guy jumps in the way and then hopes for a foul. And half the time. The referee gives it to him. Why, John? You know this. It's fun to put your hand behind your head and point the other way. Oh, they they the love goes it. nuts.
1: They, they love it. They love it. Yeah. but look, I, I, but I think
0: we got to get a, we got to get away from
1: that. Look, we have talked about that in the past in our on our podcast. But I will tell you, long before you brought it up, and long even long before, and I know that goes way back. They were talking about the game of basketball should not be out there. Trying to create a foul, and when you when you get as a defender, when you even a secondary defender, when you try to get over there, what you're trying to do is is create a foul. The game of basketball is not about creating fouls, okay? Uh, yeah. and, and and maybe I'm not saying that correctly, but that's no, no, that, no. I get what you're, yeah. you. Yeah, you're not. That's not that. That that was passed on to me years ago. Basketball's not about see if I can get here and create a foul. That's 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 not good. That I, no, I agree with not, you, Luke. Yeah. but I don't. But I don't, you would also
0: but, agree. You would agree that's the way it gets called a lot of the time.
1: Oh hell yes! Excuse me, yes. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, I, I tell you what. They're put an official loves calling that offensive foul. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think you make a good point, the, 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 attempting to create a foul. I would say you should have to be making an attempt to guard the player. Uh, you know, standing in the way and then covering your privates and turning your head and closing your eyes is not defending. Uh, it's just getting in the way. And I'd love, to, I'd love to see us get away from that as a, as, as a sport. All right, John, you, you've been around the ACC for too long for us not to go down this road. Let's do a little lightning round. When you were supervisor, let's take you off the court. Let's take you off the court. When you were the supervisor, so what years were those?
1: Oh, I think I came in in 05 and left in 17. That sounds right. Okay, so those 12, 13 seasons. All right, you ready? I'm just going to throw some out here. Which
0: coach gave you the most trouble?
1: Um, Paul Ewitt.
0: Who? All right, why, why Paul?
1: Because he always thought that the referees um favored certain teams and that referees in general did not like him. And he every time he lost I would receive a phone call about the officiating.
0: Okay. Who was the easiest coach to deal with? Bobby Cremins. Ah, makes sense. What would did
1: Bobby ever call you to complain? Well, I tell you what he did, um he he called a a time or two and apologized for saying something to the referees. And and uh, I said, Bob, wait a minute, you're you're calling me because you said something to the referee during the game. He said, Yeah, I said, Bob, you, you don't have to do that. I said, it's okay if you says hey ref, you missed the call because he was never out of line but he felt right. like it was wrong for him when it was all said and done that he said something to the referee that he shouldn't have said. Yeah, Bobby Cremins was a guy that you would like to work all all his games. He he was really uh, that that kind of guy.
0: All right, let's see if we can get someone who's not a Georgia Tech coach here. Uh wh- wh- when did you have to apologize to someone for screwing something up? What comes to what's the first one that comes to mind? Ooh uh
1: it, me personally or oh uh, as a supervisor yeah okay well, well i the... think i i think i could tell you this uh, uh and it was not it was it was not a a, a, a game in which it cost anybody the outcome but uh, our our referees penalized nc state because they had they picked up on a foul that was actually created by Wake Forest, who initiated a a play at the free throw line, and a state kid responded to it. We catch the state kid, and then we penalized NC State. When the whole thing started with Wake Forest, and Debbie Al called me, and I said, "Debbie, we we got it. Uh, we made a mistake. Uh, it's regrettable." It didn't cost NC State anything. They won the game, I, but that didn't seem to satisfy her. Uh, she just wanted to make me aware that our guys um, had caught the back end of a play, and it it was embarrassing to, to my officials and uh, so forth and so forth, and I apologized.
0: Who of the ACC coaches in your tenure would call the most? Oh, uh,
1: Frank Hayes at, uh, Miami. He, uh, he, he called all the time after every game. Uh, he had a losing record and he, I I thought Frank Hayes was very insecure. Um, he didn't like any of our referees and, um, uh, just, um, uh, made, uh, made a habit of calling me. I knew as soon as he lost that he would, um. Uh, in fact, I had to call his AD because he was saying things to my referees um, prior to the game. Then he would call me and say things about my referees that were not true. So I told him, I says, Frank, uh, my next phone call is to your AD. I says, he didn't care. He didn't, he didn't care who I called.
0: Okay, let's. Uh, we got we got a couple minutes left here. What's your best Roy Williams story?
1: I can't remember Roy. <laughs> the only thing about Coach Williams is when he did call me, um I knew that whatever we did, he had already documented. We put uh he we had a very close game that he ended up winning and I had three of my best referees on the game and um we put the wrong free throw shooter at the line and I was watching the game and I, I contradicted him. I said, no way. I, I said, he says, Don, do you think I would call you and tell you that your guys put the wrong guy at the free throw line? He says, are you at your computer? I said, yes. Yeah. He said, well, you just stay there for one second. And he, <laughs> he, and he, he pulled it up and showed it to me. And sent it right across uh to me while I was at my desk, and I was embarrassed and had egg on my face because and then he laughed he says, "You will never receive a phone call from it uh, uh unless I do my due diligence he says, but thank God it didn't cost us and uh and that that was kind of it he wasn't he wasn't mean, but um you know he uh, i i I'll say this straight out uh Coach Williams and Coach Shoshewski were not uh guys that called you a lot. Um if if Mike Shoshewski lost four games in in one year, he might call me twice on two of those losses. But um it was never they were never the guys that uh, but of course they were winning a lot of their games. So they, they were never the guys that, that called me.
0: Sorry, right, that that was my lot. my my next question was was a coach K one, but
1: well, all right, so uh expansion happens I, 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 can happens I say Coach K yeah. got more Coach K got more upset with with my assigning than he did with uh the way our guys refereed the game. There was there and, and that still holds true today. There are certain guys that he does not like refereeing his games. And when he received the assignments he would say something to the effect, you know we never can get a good a good game out of this guy something to that effect did he feel like they were biased against duke or just not he uh you know i just say uh, yeah I, not uh that's a good question i don't know but he he didn't like a couple of uh, our guys in the course i i told him i said, uh coach i can't i you know we make our assignments we tried to Tried to make, uh, assignments not according to what, who coaches like and don't like. I said, we have to be fair to, to all our teams. And he didn't argue that point. He said, you, you mark my word. He said, we don't, we don't get a, a, a fair call out of the, some of these guys. He, I tell you what he did. And I, I can only say this, Luke, now that I'm out of the game, um, he thinks because of their success, official's mentality would be, I have to prove myself to... Um, I, I don't want anybody to think I'm favoring any team, and they made, and Coach thought that they, because of their great success, they may lean toward the other way just to prove that they could stand up and, hmm. and, 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 and not favor Duke and and I wasn't surprised at that because he may he may be a little bit right right on that you know he that uh I hope not but he 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 thought that he didn't get a fair whistle because referees wanted to prove that they, they would call fouls uh, on duke interesting okay this is the question I was
0: going to ask you before you thought of that and I'm glad you did you were there when expansion happens and Jim Beheim comes into your league. What were you expecting having officiated his games in
1: the Big East many, many generations ago?
0: And what was it like?
1: I thought it was, I thought it was a great addition. I think the world of Coach Beheim. I mean, the absolute, he, he was never a guy to call. He thought that uh, the worst call in the history of basketball, which I had to laugh about, was when he took, went to Duke his first year in, he goes to Duke. <laughs> After he had beaten Duke up there on a controversial play, they were it was a sensational game up there. He goes to Duke, and Tony Green calls a, a play against his team, and uh, Coach Beheim's jacket came off. And I went to the dressing room afterwards and visited with him, and he said, "John, that's the worst call," but he wanted <laughs> to beat. He wanted to beat Duke so bad that home and away, and he had a chance to, but, um, Coach Bayheim is just, a, uh, he, he may be misunderstood because he, he always, now he's a curmudgeon. He's, you know, he, he's always, uh, cranky, but to me, we had a mutual respect because I had referee, so many Syracuse games when I was in the Big East against Georgetown and St. John's and then I had Coach Beheim in the Final Four against Kentucky. I had Coach Beheim in regionals. So we had we had that connection and uh but I thought when they brought Syracuse in and some of the other teams pit, I thought the expansion was just terrific. And and, and then you know uh, coach Patino came in. Um, I guess Louisville after Maryland left. They got that was during my tenure. We bring Louisville in, and, and then I had, I had Coach Patino, who was also an, an, an incredible coach.
0: Well, you can see how we used to go on for an hour.
1: Uh, you know, but uh, you know, you ask me, and that's that was that's how I felt about today's game.
0: This is how we ended up with a podcast way back when.
1: So, yeah, thank you, thank was, you, John. Yeah, uh, Luke, good luck, and um, we'll get together soon.
0: All right, that was John Clockerty, the uh, Hall of Fame official, former ACC supervisor. I'm NNO Sports columnist Luke DeCock, and this has been the ACC Now podcast.